Hey everybody, welcome to the episode six of the Words of Vikram podcast. I think I'm sounding a little deeper today and uh, the reason for that is I'm fighting a cold, but I'm seeing an upside in having a cold and that is that I'm actually liking what I'm hearing. You know, I can hear myself as I record this, right? So good, there is a, maybe I should, (laughs) here's an idea, maybe I should do a few podcasts while I'm fighting a cold because I feel that I sound better. So maybe maybe that'll motivate me. But speaking of motivation, I definitely uh, feel that with the podcast, there isn't an excuse to uh, or, or any way to hide. So if you're not going to be feeling well, you will sound different. But uh, you know what? Uh, shows commitment here, right? I'm still talking to you guys. So getting into where I left you last week uh, on the last week podcast was I was actually heading into Seville from Madrid and I talked about, you know, getting on high speed rail and getting that that envy that why we don't have it here in the US. But the train ride to Seville was pretty epic. I uh, really love the fact that you can, you know, do something and you have elbow space while you're doing it. So you could read, you could type up uh, some notes and uh, you're just cruising all at this high speed. But one of the things about Seville that anybody who's going to travel there from Madrid or anywhere from up north, you will notice that when you get in there, it's drier and hotter than, I guess, any other place around there, unless you go further south, right? So for me, for me, Seattle, um, Seattle, why is Seattle on my mind? Interesting. Maybe there's a trip coming there that I don't know about. Yeah, that's another... Uh, that's another side to fighting a cold. Uh, I might be saying words and things that don't make much sense, but that has never stopped you from listening, has it? So getting getting into into Seville, I I had a very clear objective, and a lot of people would lie and say they want to go see the cathedral or see the Alcazar or the you know, or the plaza. But I had a very specific goal getting into Seville, and that was to taste Iberian ham. So in one of the books I read that I talked about, uh, Grape Olive Pig, that I reviewed and the review got published and all that good stuff. But there's a whole chapter on Iberian ham, the art, the reason why it's expensive, the reason why it's considered an art. So, you know, that is something that really stuck with me. And I thought, you know what, this, I am going to try this thing, but I am trying it when I'm in Seville and then I'm going to be doing, it's going to be a big event. So I hyped it up in my mind. And uh, I, I'm happy to report it was everything that I thought it would be. Yes, there, there is a way to slice it. So it just doesn't matter that the product is solid, but also the way, the way it's cut out and distributed. Those of you who hear raindrops in the background, uh, yeah, it's it's pouring here. I'm actually recording this in Atlanta. So welcome to the Southern uh, Thunderstorm Spring. So yeah, get you know, getting back to. Uh, See, with, with the cold, I'm just going all over the place, Seattle, Atlanta. Let's get back to Seville. And then one of the things that, other than, of course, get tasting the ham and checking that off my list, that yes, I've had it at the right place, prepared by the right person. I also uh, had a chance to try the small plates, the tapas that, you know, there there's a there's a flood of 
tapas, restaurants opening up everywhere. But, you know, that is considered to be the birthplace of tapas. And at least the people in Seville claim that. I don't want anybody arguing with me that it was somewhere else in Spain. You know, this is this is my podcast. This is what I heard. And I'm just going to repeat exactly what I heard in Seville. So, it was great. But at the same time, you have to understand that the best food you will get would be in restaurants where they don't speak English. So, even if they understand it and speak it, they are not going to do it. So, you know, you, you really cannot complain about that, right? You You need to load up Google Translate. You need to learn how to use it. You need to understand that you are going to have to keep your expectations low because, you, you know, you don't understand the language. You don't speak the language. But you have to make an effort. I've noticed that there are four points for effort. You have to make some effort in trying. And then, you know, I, I think if you follow uh, basic human decency protocols, uh, you should you should do well and you will have one of the best meals of your life. Uh, and it's, you know, I would like, like to say it was all about the food, but it wasn't just about the food. I did see another UNESCO World Heritage Site which was the uh, the the real Alcazar or the Alcazar de Seville or, you know, I, I'm sure there's a third name for it. But it was truly magnificent what the kind of homes people were built were really putting out there back in the day, the extremely wealthy people. And then, you know, you compare that to what money buys today is, is just crazy. You know, that people were really building these amazing, of course, they were colonizing the world, but at the same time, they were building these amazing palaces. And, and, and these were, you know, that's somebody's home. That always hits me when I'm in a palace thinking that, you know, this is somebody's home. And, you know, there are like 10,000 tourists just walking through, <laughs> walking through the corridors. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, and, and that's why I'm a huge fan of, uh, I'm, I, I, I like to call myself a, a minimalist and live like that. It's just, you know, do you want 10,000 people walking through your home, you know, hundreds of years after you've died? I don't know. I don't think so. I'd be comfortable with that. But, you know, I did walk through someone's home and, you know, the home has traded hands from from the Moors to back to the, uh, you know, the, the Inquisition happened and, the, you know, Spain took over and then they changed it. But, you know, it is let's just put it this way, it was never in the possession of someone who didn't have money. You know, somebody really powerful always lived there. So, you know, that was that was great. And uh, the cathedral, you know, the, the civil cathedral is of special, you know, interest to me, personally to me, to me. And uh, the, the reason for that is, you know, I'm, I've always been fascinated with Columbus and the fact that he was looking for India. Uh, when I say India, I mean, India that I came from or my people, but he ended up finding America and finding the Native Americans and calling them Indians and the whole thing went down. And we know how that en ended up, right? Like narrate the history of uh, America's to you on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure there's an NPR podcast that'll tell you everything that went down after Columbus found the new world. But, you know, getting back to my personal interest is that I have an annual Twitter connection with Columbus that, you know, once you're on Twitter, you'll hear me uh, on Columbus Day, I always tweet out, you know, hey, thanks for not finding us. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but it's true. I am really grateful that he didn't find the India he was looking for because it didn't work out for the people he found. So, you know, not to get all political on the on the podcast, you know, it, it is kind of political, but it's also old timey. So, I'm not really breaking the 
the cardinal rules of my podcast, right? And those who don't know, please go back to episode one and I really laid down things I'm not going to talk about. But what I am going to talk about is that his tomb is not on the ground. So those of you who go to tombs a lot, <laughs> to all the to all the tomb raiders out there, uh, usually you're buried underground, right? And there's a there's a beautiful art and all that good stuff around you or on top of you, and you know there's a mausoleum and you walk in and you look at someone's grave. That's usually how the the big guys have done it historically. But you know Columbus tomb is actually raised up. So there are these four guys and uh, they just raised it above the ground. So officially, those four guys are the four kingdoms of Spain that, you know, during Columbus's life, they were four, you know, Spain was not just one kingdom, it was a collection of kingdoms. And the four guys who are holding him up are actually Castile, Aragon, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Aragon, not from, is it from Lord of the Rings? No, never mind. Navarra and Leon. So I know I'm saying those two, right? And then, you know, it's a, it's a allegorical figure. It's like it's a symbol of the four regions lifting, you know, lifting him above ground for some reason. But there's a, you know, there's a lot of speculation that the real Columbus is actually in in Santo Domingo, which is uh, the Dominican Republic. For those of you who don't know what Santo Domingo is, look at me bragging on my my geographical knowledge, uh, the old timey way of calling it. Uh, well, people still call it Santo Domingo, so this is not old timey. Let me let me correct myself here. But I talked to one of the uh, one of the guides there, and they said, you know, there's the official reason, and then there's the unofficial reason, and. Uh, uh, and I always am interested in the unofficial version of it. And the version is that, you know, he did not want to be buried in Spanish soil, which is, you know, ridiculous considering they funded his entire uh, voyage, his voyage to uh, the New World. But he just ran afoul with some taxation. See, it's always taxes, guys. You got to pay your taxes. <laughs> if you tax it, the tax man will get you. But when this happened to him, he was so upset with the kings and with the system. Wow, he hated the system, huh? Interesting. So yeah, Columbus got upset with the system and they didn't bury him where he touches the Spanish soil because he was Italian, right? Read up on him, uh, blow up his uh, Wikipedia page and you'll see uh, where he started out. But, you know, uh, mystery history channel aside, I really enjoyed my stay there. I stayed uh, actually stayed at a hotel in the middle of all the action. So I was always just walking 10 or 15 minutes. Again, location trumps everything. And uh, I think uh, it's it's always an interesting transition when you go from Airbnb, no matter how nice it is, to an actual nice hotel because you will get a lot more people just at your disposal to answer questions. And, you know, we had a great concierge and she, you know, uh, there's a joke that I do that, you know, the concierge has to do more than circle a map. And, you know, that the lady there really did a good job. She really helped out with all the questions I had and made it easy to to get around and get the most out of it. I was just there for two days, so it wasn't a, a big stay. But I really wish I had more time because there's like a whole different, you know, outside of the city. And there are other cities nearby where where I wanted to go, where I read about tuna and uh, tuna fishing and, and how it's done in, in, in the south. But I, I never really got around to it. Where I did go next was Barcelona. And Barcelona is 
the only Spanish city or the only city in Spain that I actually visited when I was young. And when I say young, I mean years ago. <laughs> I just, you know, fell in love with it. It was like nothing else. And I, I, I was living in San Francisco at the time. And not that, you know, San Francisco is wonderful in thousands of ways. And I, I just love San Francisco. But going from there to Barcelona, I saw the, you know, in my mind, I felt like, wow, I'm probably in the San Francisco of Spain, because this is, this is amazing. This is a whole different way of living and, and, and talking, you know, because they don't speak Spanish. They, they speak Catalan there. Catalan is the official language. So, you're going to love this airplane story. You're going to love this. So I tried my first ever European low-cost carrier. <laughs> I love how you, instead of saying, you know, cheap airlines, they just call it the low-cost carrier. How cute, right? But there was a reason for that. You know, those of you who know me, I would avoid that because I feel you end up paying more in the long term in mental health and sanity. But you know, the choices are going away, consolidation, consolidation, and uh, the only airline that flies out of Seville into Barcelona domestically was the low-cost airline. But it has nothing to do with the national airline. So, you know, good luck if you have a status on an airline. They don't care about that. It's all low-cost. And uh, it's called Vueling. Am I saying it right? Tickets so low that I didn't even bother learning how to say their name. Yeah, so I was booked on uh, the my... Uh, I think this was my first ever European low-cost carrier because usually when I'm flying in from the U.S., it's one of the major carriers that'll take me where I need to go, and then I just fly out of the major cities. I don't venture out. But since this time it was a holiday, I actually ventured out and uh, bought my own tickets. So that changes things, right? Then you uh, find the low-cost carrier. And that was the only choice, like I said, from uh, Barcelona to Seville. And uh, it it was an experience. So first of all, you know, getting through... Getting through airport security anywhere else in the world is better than the U.S., which is really depressing considering, you know, they face the same threats and that we do and all that good stuff. But went through the security and uh, you have to make sure you get your own food because you'll pay for everything when you get on a low-cost carrier. So I, I was very well. I thought I was really well prepared, right? Got on the plane, boarded it, everything's fine, and uh, uh, check this out. So... I'm sitting in the aisle seat because that's where I like to sit. See, there's a lot you're learning about me on on this. This is why the podcast and the blog are separate uh, mediums. Here you're getting to learn about my preferences. Uh, So, you know, as people are boarding in and, you know, they're trying to move on time and all that good stuff. What's the right word for it? Uh, The stewardess was trying to fix someone's bag above me and, I never not travel with a bag of water with me, with a bottle of water in my back, because you never know what kind of famine is going to break out on the airplane. So always bring water so you don't, you know, die of thirst. And I usually bring it down with me. So maybe it's looking back, maybe it's my fault, but I uh, somehow they managed to open that bottle above my head and. Luckily, it didn't open inside my bag, so great. And it was not going to happen because I have a water section in my bag. So, see, I've planned it all, trying to figure it all out. But it just fell on my lap and it, and it just started to spill. So, I was, you know, I used my uh, ninja reflexes to bottle it up. And, you know, my seat was a little wet. And, you know, the ladies looked at me like, uh, okay. <laughs> she just kept, She just kept doing the bags. And I thought, oh, my God, does she... 
oh, this is the worst thing. And then I, you know, and I thought, okay, this is, at least it's not a bottle of olive oil <laughs> or cream cheese, right? Not that anyone should be flying around with cream cheese. What I'm trying to say is that it could be worse, but when you are low cost all the way, the priority is to board the flight and get it going. So the viewing lady couldn't even be bothered to like, hey, here's a small piece of paper for your for your pants <laughs> or for your seat. She was like gone. But the professional traveler that I am, I always have help. So I was able to, you know, get myself dry rather quickly because of my ninja reflexes. I stopped the whole bottle from spilling on me. You know, this is uh, this is where we at. When you're flying, you just need to be on alert. You never know when. Someone's going to drop a bottle in your lap and uh, try and, you know, take it out of your bag before you sit down. So that's a little pro tip for you guys. But, you know, getting into Barcelona after all those times, first of all, the airport just impressed me. You know, this was the airport was pretty bad, guys. Like years ago, I remember going in and out of Barcelona and it was, you know, it didn't look like a European airport. It was really old and, you know, kind of falling apart. So when I got to the terminal, the new one that they've opened since I was last there, it's what a massive upgrade, right? There's uh, all these facilities. But the biggest shock for me for Barcelona after I went in and checked in and everything, the biggest surprise for me was when I got to the neighborhood. You know, I, of course, I went and checked in. This was, again, I stayed at a hotel this time because of the location. I just wanted to go and check out the part of Barcelona where I rented an apartment last time I was visiting. This was years ago, and it's the neighborhood of Barcelona called Barceloneta. I hope I'm saying it right, considering I've been there twice now. <laughs> but I was really surprised. So I just went in there, and you know, you're when you go somewhere you've been before, you're trying to really get your get your bearings right. Okay, so. You're walking around and I was trying to see, okay, I remember this street and this is where I used to walk down at 1 a.m. after or 2 a.m. and then make a left turn here. But I was just shocked. I was just really, really shocked to see what had become there, what, what exists there today. So the best example that I can give was it just felt like South Beach. It's just transformed the the boardwalk is nothing like how it used to be. It still had like a little a village feel to it when I was last there. It was a fishing village for God's sake, right? What am I saying? So it kind of lost that and everything is just, you know, people. It's South Beach. So I, I cannot give you a better example. It was very South Beach. Everything was paved, brand new. Everything's turned around. Everything is condos so i i feel like luxury condos are going to take over this entire world but that's kind of what it felt like while i was there so i i did do my little walk there looked around and you know peeked into one of the streets there were still those streets where you know people are drying their clothes hanging outside on clotheslines and i'm like wow this this used to be in the entire thing used to be like that but now it's a uh, gentrification but that has really hit that part of uh, of Barcelona really hard. So what it has not changed or what is still good is everything else. So there's still so there's some amazing new restaurants that have opened up in Barcelona and the food scene is pretty big. They take a lot of pride in their food and their uh, in their chefs. So I was able to go and try uh, some really good restaurants and 
you know, let's not forget the weather it was just perfect. It's April, the sun is shining. And uh, so you're not sweating. So it's not hot. But at the same time, you have a jacket with you because it's it's kind of cool. So it was just the perfect time of the year to be there. So I instead of hitting the beach, I hit the parks and just walked just just soaked in from castles to gardens and parks. So I really soaked in all that sunshine and uh, and the beautiful air. The air was just just perfect. The temperature, I mean, the air quality and temperature, both. Let me be very specific here, right? <laughs> of course, I had the best paella of my life. It was, you know, not on the beach exactly, but at an establishment tucked away. Uh, those of you who are, you know, I, I maybe I should, should not give a shout out to that restaurant because... You guys will form lines there, man. Uh, not they—they they already have lines there, but uh, yeah, hit me up if you want to know specifics from me, right? Email me. But yeah, I found this this spot that just had just the most amazing food, and uh, again, you know, bring your Google Translate, make an effort, and it further complicates that they don't even speak Spanish there, so it's Catalan. <laughs> so it's Catalan. So good luck with that, but try at least make an effort. Be nice. It'll work out. Everything will be fine in the end, right? That's uh, that's what the the smart people say. You know, getting back to my final thoughts on Spain, I have to say that you know I've done the major landmark cities, read the grape olive pig book, followed it up with a little extra food tour that I just did. But there's like a whole different world. You need to take some real time off if you're going to really go and soak in all of the Spanish history and food and culture. I still feel that my next stop would be northern Spain, which is very different, Basque country, the eastern and the uh, and the and the deep south, like the southern shores of uh, of Spain, are on my list. I didn't feel like I'm done with it, and I don't need to go back. So there's like a whole different tour of secondary cities that I'd like to do at at some point. You know, look at me already planning a trip back to Spain. <laughs> I just got, <laughs> I just got back. What better, what better reasons do you need to, uh, to go into Spain? And you know, oh yeah, well, one one thing I, I I did want to mention on the train ride, I was thinking of the the man from La Manche. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Cervantes, I think, wrote that book, and it's 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 stuck with me because you know back back in the day in uh, in hotel school. One of the one of my uh, my chefs really inspired me to travel. You know, I, I credit him with with describing what he did and how he traveled. And you know, he he really inspired me that hey, look at this guy. He travels and he samples the local cuisine and he comes back and he he learns something. So you know, he's been my he's been a huge uh, inspiration for me to travel. And one of his favorite songs was uh, I think. Impossible Dream from the musical The Man from La Manche. And then I was, when I was, you know, getting in the train, I just thought, oh, isn't this the part of the world that it came from? And yeah, that is the part of the world where it came from. So shout out to Chef. And uh, you know what? Maybe I'll send him a note. Maybe I'll actually write to him that I thought of him. How's that? That's better than blurting out on a podcast a personal message, right? So I'm going to, I'm not going to be lazy and I'll actually go and, and send him a note when I'm done recording this podcast. Moving on to the the usual sections, uh, let's. My journey to Spain has come to an end. <laughs> wow, I, I need to be on on one of those travel shows, guys. Come on, like look at all the philosophical things that I bring up when I when I travel. Okay, so where are you guys listening? I always ask that, and I always get the answers. This week, lunch break and morning coffee were the top answers that I got. 
And the last episode about Spain got a lot of play in Spain. How meta is that? And then Portugal. And then for some reason, Seattle. So remember in the beginning of the show, I bought up Seattle. So that's what was on my mind that, you know, my my podcasting numbers from Seattle are rising. So I'm getting some fans in one of my favorite US cities. So yay. Questions and answers. Considering I'm fighting this little cold situation. So I'm going to be just doing one today. And the question is, what's your favorite airline and why? Oh, this is easy. So easy question, easy answer. My favorite airline in the whole world is Singapore Airlines. And the reason for that is because they're nice to you and no matter what class you're flying in. And that is the true metric of how good a person or or an organization is when you see how well they treat the people who are all the way back in economy class. Everyone's going to be generally nice to you in business and first, right? But they are nice to you throughout. So I love that about them. And unfortunately, they're in the part of the world where I cannot be a frequent flyer. But if I was, oh my God, I would only fly with them uh, like I do in the US with, unfortunately, some of the US airlines. Uh, So uh, yeah, that's a short Q&A today. So as I recover my my voice and get my shrill voice back, I'd like to sign off. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and share. The podcast is available on iTunes and Google Play. Or just go to my website, wordsofwickram.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for all the feedback. And don't forget to email me your questions. I have some extra ones. I'll do, I'll do more questions, I promise, next week when I'm feeling a little bit better. My email is vikram at wordsofvikram.com and read my articles on wordsofvikram.com. In addition, if you are a social person, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at wordsofvikram. With that, stay woke, stay classy, and don't get stuck in goo, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.